Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Rowdy Buddhist podcast. Again, I really am touched and appreciate all the overwhelming support and uh, appreciation that I've received from people. That's what keeps me going. I'm glad that uh, these lectures are, have been useful for people in their practice. Today, I wanted to talk about uh, Neo-Buddhism, uh, which could be concerned as uh, Buddhist, uh, modern Buddhism, uh, they even have used the word Neoyana instead of Mahayana, Neoyana, new vehicle. Uh, there's actually quite a lot of modern Buddhism out there. Uh, and even within the United States, we have many different stages, such as we call Beat Next Zen. Uh, you know, there was the uh, time when Buddhism came during the Beat Next time, during uh, San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury, those kinds of things. Uh, where a lot of famous act, uh, how do you say, writers, uh, D.T. Suzuki and other teachers, uh, and Roshi from Japan brought different ideas. And of course, uh, as many times in Buddhism, it assimilates to the West. And, and of course, that's how they use those expedients to explain certain details and practices about Buddhism. And as if you understand, Buddhism can in many ways seem very different and is very different than a lot of our Western way of thinking because it depends what the culture was based on. So our Western language is even based on Latin and Greek. Of course, those are the, the, uh, the books of the law, the books of the people, uh, Judeo-Christian background uh, for culture. Um, of course, there are the elements we know of um, paganism, etc., and that, but the majority, uh, especially in literature, language, and that has just been deeply influenced, and even morality has been influenced by those particular religions. And although there are commonalities, Buddhism is different. Um, in as of in in just in in how do you say putting side by side the the other religions of the West, there are a lot of commonalities. Um, but yet there are many differences and even cultural differences. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the culture of Tibet, culture of Japan or Korea. I'm talking about the Buddhist culture that lies underneath it and has influenced those cultures. So um, it's very important that we understand when I say that, uh, because Nichiren Buddhism, of course, is a Japanese Buddhist, a Japanese creation in Japan and is heavily influenced by Japanese culture but it's by Japanese Buddhist culture. It's very important to say that because many people think that they're the same thing and they're not um, because there's large aspects of the Japanese culture that are not Buddhist, uh, such as those of Shinto, uh, those of Confucianism, etc. And so um, people tend to oversimplify things and, and sometimes uh, you know, it makes it easier to digest or understand, especially if you don't have the interest or inclination to look deeper into it. But as a teacher of Buddhism, it's very important, and I found it necessary in my practice and study to understand those subtleties and understand the differences and to know, which again is a new modern way of thinking, that we must say that all is the same, all right, and that we must not distinguish uh, this teaching being better than a different teaching or that they're different, uh, because obviously we see that, um, you know, most people look at the similarities and say, okay... We're all on the, diff the same mountain, different paths, etc. 
And with that, I wanted to speak specifically about the modern Buddhist movement, Neo-Buddhism, because one of the issues that I have found both within when I started Buddhism, luckily I started in a traditional sense. So most uh, Buddhists in the United States have started in kind of Neo-Buddhist movements, such as a Neo-Buddhist movement would be, for example, the Soka Gakkai. Um, because a lot of modern movements uh, of Buddhism align themselves, and this is even happening in India as we speak, um, this Neo-Yana, where they combine it with political uh, politics and, and certain kind of political beliefs, like aligning it with socialism, uh, etc. And then, of course, putting it in the guise and, 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 and the, how do you say, the institution of being aligned with a certain political stance. And that has, of course, happened in the West because a lot of uh, Buddhists in the West, you would think that the majority of them um, are more middle class, well-to-do, and mostly, uh, you know, nowadays, of course, it's changing because we luckily, and in a very positive way, Buddhism has reached many different uh, communities. But the ones that have actually influenced a lot is, of course, the upper uh, middle class, and of course from uh, white Americans. Uh, of course, even uh, to say white is just generalizing because actually Jewish um, members have made up the majority of early Buddhist practitioners. Uh, the Jewish influence on modern Buddhism here in the United States cannot be underst understated. Uh, even you go to a lot of these modern traditions, even in the Soka Gakkai, a lot of the songs that they have uh, in order to uh, teach or promote or uh, express their practice of Buddhism come from Yiddish songs or Jewish songs, which is kind of interesting. And you can see the amalgamation of the two. So besides looking at all that, one of the issues that I find with modern Buddhism or Neo-Buddhism or Neo or Neo-Yana, is that when Buddhism comes to a culture, most people look at Buddhism because, again, everything is a shopping experience. They look at perhaps the, mod the teachings that they had of their childhood or of their family that they were born into, and we're always comparison shopping. And they look, of course, for what they can agree with. And if we can agree with this 80%, uh, we choose that over being able to disagree with the, you know, 30% uh, or 80% of our birth religion or whatever our family is, uh, religion is or religions. Um, and that can cause a big problem because what happens is then they don't study Buddhism. And again, the uh, teacher in the Buddhism, so we have multi-generation of this modern Buddhism that is teaching people based on a tradition that has developed over the last, what would that be, 60, 70 years. And of course, Buddhism had been here longer than that, but mostly within ethnic communities. Here in Seattle, we have a temple that's been here for over 100 years. It's hard to believe. A building and a sangha, uh, probably here longer. Um, but that these staples of this neo-Buddhist movement have now become something that is attributed to Buddhism. And in many ways, it is sometimes extremely opposed or uh, in opposition to traditional Buddhist teachings. So again, this is what we have in the modern movement, 
people being able to change Buddhism based on their beliefs, their ideas, their values, etc. But what they fail to understand is that Buddhism is not about a particular culture or race or uh, ethnicities, cult beliefs or ideas. It's about the, the Buddha nature being able to come to a realization. So that means that uh, we base that on the enlightenment or instruction of the Buddha, hence the three, the three jewels, one being the Buddha, our teacher, who is specifically our teacher. Then we have the Dharma, which are the teachings, specific teachings of the Buddha. And then we, of course, we have a Sangha, and that Sangha, of course, includes, in depends which tradition, uh, but in the Mahayana, both means the uh, ordained as well as the householder, or otherwise known as the laity. And one of the biggest challenges that I see with modern Buddhism is that people accept it, of course, based on their beliefs. And, and Buddhism is challenging. The basic premise of Buddhism is that your beliefs are what is causing you suffering, uh, and that your beliefs are based on a imaginary empty ego uh, or belief of self. Um, and, and in that, all aspects of one's life need to be challenged and to be in accordance with the Dharma. They simply say in some sutras, there's the good way, there's the bad way. The bad way, of course, as we know, is greed, hatred, and ignorance, the three poisons. The way of the good way is the way of the Buddha, the way of the Dharma, which is, of course, imbued with compassion and wisdom. And one of the challenges that I find in Buddhism, uh, in teaching Buddhism, and even in my practice of Buddhism, which is why I believe um, there is such a misinterpretation of Nichiren Shonen and of Nichiren Buddhism, but, uh, of course, speaking from my own experience, that people uh, shop and take what they like or what they don't like in the belief system of Buddhism or what they perceive the belief system to be. And there are actual groups in these kind of neo or modern Buddhist groups that believe these to be the teachings of the Buddha. And again, this is not to say that Buddhism is, not, is, is something that is stuck in time and is not able to uh, become progressive or to adapt or um, uh, assimilate into uh, a particular culture. Buddhism does that, but it takes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And what that means is uh, hundreds and hundreds of years of people who understand the premise, the practice and culture of Buddhism. That's one reason why I believe that the majority of Buddhists have not really accepted Buddhist culture and have not really accepted the Buddhist teaching. They base it on what they believe, what they uh, value, what they uh, want in order to practice and study Buddhism. And I think this is a very, very dangerous um, kind of standard and a very dangerous path for people. And this is why, of course, the decadent Dharma, the declining law, uh, 3,000 years after the Buddha passed away, because uh, many people don't read the Buddha Sutras, don't practice the Buddha path. They just simply, they only accept uh, the belief in the Buddha. But even the belief in the Buddha only goes so far, in that it is in harmony with their own egotistical, personal belief. And I say that, of course, because that is the 
origin of all suffering in Buddhism. So it's very fascinating, uh, but also very troubling that people uh, are using Buddhism in such a way. And, and then that's why in my particular way of teaching, I believe Buddhist culture is essential. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean pretending to be Japanese because our origin of our tradition is in Japan. But there are certain aspects that we of Buddhist culture can uh, assimilate into and then that will naturally become part of our culture. Because actually, Buddhists have a uh, different morality, uh, also different value system. And I realize this all the time when I speak to regular people. Uh, of priorities, of beliefs, etc. We do. Um, you know, one of the most interesting experiences I understood was, and, and how I came into conflict in that, I'm, I'm not saying personal, in you know, individualistic conflict, but became aware of or awakened to that, you know, the majority of American people uh, because in American culture uh, or Western culture, individualism is seen as the most sacred thing. That's why we're always talking about freedom, always talking about uh, individual freedom, individual thought, individual idea, identity, etc. That is the most important aspect of someone's life. And that, if you look at modern Buddhism, a lot of times that helps to reinforce that. And, and again, it's usually, uh, in many ways, uh, supporting of that standard. So it's the idea of the self becoming enlightened, which is, of course, not what Buddhism is about. That self is itself empty. Um, and that the Buddha nature itself, we can't even imagine. We can get glimpses of it. We can practice. We can see it. But ultimately, it means letting go of the egotistical, illusionary self. But I remember speaking with somebody and we had the conversation about, as we know now, uh, there are many uh, people that say they stand up to protect people. And one of the interesting things that I remember learning was the idea of friendship. That was an interesting concept. If you look at a lot of people who have gone through uh, and cultures and ethnicities that have gone through and religions that have gone through terrible, terrible tribulations, uh, their, the orthodoxy of their belief can become quite severe. So the idea of friendship, um, as I was saying, that some Jewish people have a way of saying that, you know, we would say he is my friend because I just met him and I just got along with him. And we are, um, we know each other, we've seen each other, we know each other. But what is a true friend? Uh, and that, to use this word lightly, is seen as ignorance. And they use the simple question, not an answer, but a question, would they hide you? Because obviously in the Jewish uh, culture and Jewish experience, uh, that's an important aspect, because as you can see, in the time of war and time of persecution, etc., people have to have that value system. And as we see, some people were able to hide people to protect them uh, from death or from destruction or, of course, um, from uh, being wiped out. 
And it was interesting to see the American uh, kind of stance, and this is not just one person, but a lot of people, that that is a really extremist idea to ask anybody to do that for anyone. And it really hit home to me as an individual, uh, seeing that the kind of severe individualism that even they may consider the idea of the interdependence of all things, right? That we are all interrelated and that we're all equal and important and that we should do good to others. That that was a very important Buddhist concept um, to protect others, to, to support others, um, that that wasn't a universal concept. It, it was almost jarring to me, to somebody I thought was my friend or that I would have used that word friend with. Um, and then to, of course, say that that was an orthodox or unreasonable way of looking at things was very jarring. And then, of course, in many situations, I realized Buddhism has a different uh, stance than the regular people. That's why it's considered a vehicle of the Buddha and that we have to choose uh, our path uh, and who we follow, the Buddha's example, the Buddha's teachings. And basically, we have to build our culture, our life around that point in order to practice Buddhism. And that Buddhism wasn't like a typical faith. Uh, and I, don't, I can't speak for other faiths, but I believe that they all say that you have to live it in order to correctly practice it. But I can only speak for Buddhism. And in Buddhism, we must live it to practice it. And so therefore, I wanted to make this discussion to kind of give a, not to kind of, to give a kind of warning, consideration, to be careful what you accept as the Buddhist teachings and from who. Very essential uh, to find the good teacher who lives and practices Buddhism, breathes and practices Buddhism. If we follow under someone who picks and chooses according to what he practices Buddhism based on his like and dislike. That is a big problem. It's interesting. People may seem like, okay, when they talk about new traditions, uh, Nichiren Shonin is the youngest, uh, Nichiren Buddhism is one of the youngest uh, large traditions of Buddhism. And so they may look at Nichiren Shonin as being a new Buddhist group, a neo-Buddhist group moved in the Kamakura, which in Kamakura, many new belief systems and traditions came with their own opinion, their own way of practice, single practice, schools as they call them. But actually, Nichiren Shonin was always pointing to a more orthodox point. I think he understood and even battled this at that time, and this is what I think is the gist of the writing of the Rishuan Kokoron, Establishing the true teaching to save our nation, to save uh, the world. This is that premise. And that premise is, is following what the Buddha taught, the original Buddha. And that it's so easy in all of these creations of new Buddhism to get swept up into what we prefer, what we like, rather than understanding and developing the correct faith in the original Buddha as taught in the Lotus Sutra and the Eternal Buddha. And that is what really hit home to me because Nichiren Shonen was more orthodox than all of the other teachers. In the sense, it wasn't about him. He wasn't creating a new school. 
he was simply bringing people back to the original source of Buddhism and its practice, our founder, Shakyamuni Buddha. And I remember one time that I went to Kamakura, and of course everyone knows the Daibos, the Daibutsu, the Dai, uh, Great Buddha statue in Kamakura. It's very famous. I didn't know at that time, but uh, Sukumoto Sensei luckily educated me well and said, who is that Kanjin? And I looked and I said, oh, the mudra was Amida Buddha. The pure land, Amitabha Buddha, the, the, the deity of the, the Buddha of the pure land, Western pure land. And around there was so much incense and inside beautiful candles, etc. And at that time, of course, it was during the time of the Buddha's birthday. So I believe that was uh, during the month. And they always build, they called uh, Buddha's kind of mod, uh, like um, altar with flowers. And then you offer sweet tea that comes from the Buddha's birth story, raining down Amirita tea, sweet tea. And actually, he took me there at that temple and showed me there was one incense. And he said, Kanjan, what do you think about that? And I realized that these practitioners of Buddhism had abandoned the original Buddha and had become so uh, obsessed and uh, pretty much obsessed is the word with Amida Buddha uh, and the simplistic easy way to go to the pure land the vows etc and of course Nichiren Shonen shows you can't get the vow you can't get the power or the benefit from Amida Buddha because in the Amida Buddha's vows it says I can support those who follow the correct Dharma. But people don't think about that. They think about just the benefit of being able that no matter what I do, I can re-ajant uh, the Buddha's name one time and go to the Pure Land. And I see, and this is something that's maintained, that we need to study and practice. That's why Nichiren and Shonen says in the Shohoji Sosho, without learning and practicing, there is no Buddhism. That is absolutely at the core of this conversation. And that when we study and practice, it's very important, as the Master Tiantai says, to have good spiritual friends, good spiritual companions. Because we're vulnerable, blind, ignorant children. We can't see what the truth is. And we only go by our desires. We only go by our inclinations. And sometimes the truth is so hard for us to even see and then much less understand and practice. Without the correct great spiritual friend, we can't do that. And also the correct spiritual practice. That is why Nichiren Shonen was directing people back to the original source. And that was the source of our founder, Shakyamuni Buddha. So I put this out as a a, how do you say, a point that I want to keep in your mind. If you are practicing Buddhism and you think that you are fine practicing Buddhism, no challenge, you agree with everything. Uh, everything is as you like it. No conflict. Then you might not be practicing Buddhism. And I would have to say most definitely you're probably not practicing Buddhism. Because that means you are practicing the Buddhism of your own idea, your own ego. And you are not a disciple of the Buddha Shakyamuni, the original Buddha. Very difficult, and uh, and and 
not just regular people, lots of scholars, lots of people who practice Buddhism simply for the uh, intellectual part, to be able to easily defeat others in debate, or in their own mind find some answer, but not manifested in their life. That is a waste of Buddhism. We should find the correct faith in the correct teaching, the correct teacher, and follow that if we are indeed disciples of the Buddha. And you may say, Sensei, you sound very severe, very uh, conservative about that, and Buddhist conservative. But actually, that's the only way. If I practice Buddhism according to my like or dislike, that is not Buddhism. That is my way. But as Nichiren Shonin said, I'm a stupid monk. Yes, we're all stupid. Therefore, we have to rely on the correct teaching, uphold the correct teaching, inculcate the correct teaching in our life. Then we will be imbued with the awakening and freedom of Buddhism that the Buddha taught us, that the Buddha promised us. But if you, even you wear the robes and chant the sutras and be able to debate, doesn't mean that you are practicing Buddhism. Just look like you're practicing Buddhism. But in that sense, you are not changing. You are not uh, freeing yourself. You are just in a gilded cage made of gold or of your desires and wishes. So I say as a precautionary point, be careful of modern Buddhism. Uh, modern Buddhism is usually a person's opinion. And again, people may say, well, Nichiren Shonen had opinion. Well, actually, if you understand, actually, Master Tiantai's teaching and that, it was not Nichiren Shonen's opinion. He was simply directing people back to the original source of the practice and teaching of Buddhism, simply and directly. That's the difference. And so, it's not easy. That's the disclaimer with this. It's not easy because you always come against yourself. You always come against your misconceptions, your ignorance, greed, hatred, and ignorance, the three poisons within your mind and body. But yet, that is the way to freedom. And if you truly believe and have faith in the Buddha, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to uh, be discouraged. Just keep going, but sincerely, wholeheartedly, in the way of Buddhism, not the way of yourself, not the way of your belief or culture. All of that is extra. The only thing that exists in this world is the Buddha nature. That's the only thing that is without that is a, in that way permanent movement. Cannot be hurt, cannot be killed, cannot be destroyed. But we have to be careful we don't taint it with what we believe to be Buddhism. So your challenge, your belief of Buddhism should always be challenged and always go back to without learning and practicing. There is no Buddhism. So if you think that you understand the Buddhism, uh, you may be very wrong. And of course, uh, you may say, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter because at the moment when we pass away or through our life, it directly impacts us because, again, even with a gilded cage, we are still suffering. 
and not free. So I thank everyone for taking the time to again support and listen uh, to these teachings. Namu uh, Thank you.